This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said, When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel Prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life, the only possible explanation for you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is C-Y-K-I-A-E. seems like only yesterday that it was illegal to buy babies. But then we have science to thank for new developments that have made that possible. Also, society has made major changes to what is acceptable. And that's created the demand for babies for people who couldn't get babies the usual way themselves. Same-sex couples. In this program, I'm going to start by looking the old-fashioned way people got babies, and the inbuilt mechanisms that came into play from pregnancy to birth. And then I'll be looking at children born in answer to the demand of adults, where the egg or the sperm or both are obtained from a third party, which third party will usually never have anything further to do with the child produced from their egg or sperm. Sometimes one of the people involved in getting the baby will contribute their egg or sperm, but the other side of the equation will be obtained from a donor, usually an unknown stranger. Sometimes all of that applies, and sometimes it may be that the egg and the sperm both are provided by the future parents. But a woman, who is most likely unrelated to the couple, will be the surrogate mother. She'll carry the fertilised egg, through to birth and then, usually, immediately, relinquish the child to her paying customers without having anything at all to do with the baby that she just gave birth to. There's always been the long debate with science on the issue of whether we should do something for the simple reason that we can. Then there are the arguments that there is no reason to do something that perhaps we shouldn't be doing. This seems to me to be one of those areas. We've been doing this sort of thing with the sperm and the egg donors and surrogate mothers for long enough now for there to be children who today are old enough to let us know how this sort of situation is working out for them. They're clearly entitled to a voice that must be heard and weighed on the scales to decide if we should continue to do this or ban it. The result of all these new techniques is that babies are being born that could never have been born otherwise. 
people are buying babies to demand. Being able to buy another human being seems like a horrible thing for our society to allow. So let me tell you what happens when a baby is conceived in the old-fashioned way by a man and a woman who are living together and intend to bring up the child as their own. It would be far, far better if they were married to give the child the chance of having those biological parents while the child is growing into an independent human being. That's a whole other issue. The whole usual process of becoming pregnant and what happens is staggering. What happens is all hardwired in biological stuff. Our bodies take over a lot of aspects of the process to make sure that the man and the woman in the relationship will bring this helpless creature into the world and love and care for it. Of course, this isn't the way things always work out. There are always exceptions, but right now I'm talking about what usually happens to prepare both female and male parents to do what they have to do. Two good books on the topic are the ones written by the psychiatrist Luanne Brizendine, MD, the New York Times best-selling author of The Female Brain that she followed up with, obviously, The Male Brain. That was when there were only two sexes, if you remember those days. For women, she says a brain transformation of what she calls the mummy brain begins from conception. One of the mother's eggs is penetrated by her male partner's sperm. Within two weeks after that, the fertilized egg implants itself in the mother's uterine lining, docking itself into the mother's blood supply. After that has happened, the mother's body and brain start to change. When a woman becomes pregnant, her progesterone levels start to climb in her bloodstream and brain. Her progesterone spikes from 10 to 100 times its normal level during the first two to four months of pregnancy. The brain becomes marinated in this hormone. Its sedating effects are similar to those of the drug Valium. This tranquilizing effect of progesterone and also high estrogen that also starts to be produced help protect the mother against stress hormones during pregnancy because those hormones increase in her body because of the pregnancy. These fight-or-flight chemicals, such as cortisol, are produced in large quantities by the fetus and placenta. The mother's body and brains are flooded with them. By late pregnancy, the stress hormone levels in a woman's brain are as high as they would be for a strenuous workout. But the mother doesn't have any feelings of stress during her pregnancy because of the progesterone and estrogen that I just talked about. What the stress chemicals do, importantly, is to make the pregnant woman very conscious of her safety, nutrition and surroundings. That also means that she's less focused on other kinds of tasks that she may have been focused on as an unpregnant worker. Things like making conference calls and organising her schedule. These aren't so much in her sights anymore. Especially in the last months or so of pregnancy, the pregnant woman starts to feel distracted, forgetful and preoccupied. Not since puberty have there been so many changes going on in her brain at once. 
Of course, each woman's response depends on her psychological state and the events in her life. But what I'm talking about are the biological underpinnings of her changing reality during pregnancy. At the same time, the size and structure of a pregnant woman's brain are changing too. Between six months and the end of the pregnancy, fMRI brain scans have shown that a pregnant woman's brain is actually shrinking. Her brain size will gradually return to normal about six months after giving birth. In animal studies, scientists have found that the thinking part of the brain, the cortex, gets bigger during pregnancy, revealing the complexity and flexibility of female brains. It's not that a woman is losing brain cells. So while the body is gaining weight, the brain is actually losing it. In the final one to two weeks before giving birth, the brain begins to increase again in size as it constructs large networks of maternal circuits. Soon after becoming pregnant, the mother feels her breasts become tender, her brain becomes sedated, her brain circuits become mellow as she gets a sleepy feeling, which will make her need to rest and eat more than usual. The woman's body is taking over and directing so much that is needed to bring her baby through to a successful birth. At work, all the newly expectant mum can do is sit and stare at her stapler and try not to throw up. By the fourth month, however, another big change occurs. Her brain adjusts to the massive hormone change in her body and she can resume eating normally, not uncommonly, even ravenously. Both her conscious and unconscious brain is now focused on what is going on in her uterus. By the fifth month, she starts to feel little gas bubbles in her abdomen. These are movements by her baby. The woman becomes fully consciously aware that she is growing a baby. She has been pregnant for almost half a year, and her brain has been changing and enlarging its smell circuits, thirst circuits, and hunger circuits, and putting brakes on the pulsing cells in the hypothalamus that usually triggers her menstrual cycle. She's now ready for the love circuits for her baby to grow. With each new kick or movement, the mother starts getting to know her baby and fantasizes about what it will be like to hold him or her in her arms. She can't quite imagine it, but hungers for it nonetheless. This is also the first time that the father might become much more interested in his growing child. Feeling the kicks and listening to the mother's abdomen for the little heartbeats. The baby may even tap, tap, tap back at him. And yes, fathers usually fantasise about a boy and mothers about a girl. The mother's womb isn't just an oven for the baby to grow and develop in. Inside their mother's womb, this mother is the only person the baby will know for the first nine and a half months of its life. It's her voice that soothes the baby in the womb. It's her heartbeat that lulls the baby to sleep. It's the mother's smell the baby finds familiar. Her milk the baby cries for when it emerges from her birth canal. 
Birth is not an interruption of things for the baby. It is the continuation of the mother-child bond that started from conception. Birth is the moment when the baby sees the mother that it has been wholly dependent on for the first time. Babies are obviously incredibly shaped by their mother before their birth. They're impacted on by their mother's diet, her schedule and her emotional state. One study found that a four-month-old infant's temperament correlated with the mother's stress level while the child was in the womb. Another study found that boys and girls six to nine years of age whose mother suffered high anxiety pregnancies had lower visuospatial working memory performance capacity, an indicator highly correlated with mathematical reasoning abilities, than children born to mothers who did not have high anxiety pregnancies. Researchers also discovered the girls in the former group had a diminished capacity to control their impulses. The mother's impact on the baby in the womb was enormous. Blood flows freely through the placenta between the mother and child. Scientists have discovered that the baby's cells stay in the mother's body for years after birth. The intimate biological transfer and intense emotional connection between the mother and the baby brings about a very real emotional and physical bond. As the due date approaches, the prospective mother's brain will become almost totally preoccupied with her baby and with fantasies about how she is going to make it through all the pain and physical effort to push out a healthy child without killing herself or the baby. Her mummy brain circuits switch to high alert. Let's look at the prospective father before the birth a little more closely now. A first-time father gets a better sense of being about to become a father around the first time the mother gets an ultrasound. Luen Brizendine gives an example of a father's experience at the time of the first ultrasound. She writes, When a baby's image appeared on the screen, Tim audibly gasped as he saw its heart beating. He said, It was like nothing else mattered. All I could do was stare at this tiny beating heart and think, oh my God, that's my child. Scientists now know that a man's brain changes as his mate's pregnancy progresses. Dads typically don't crave pickles with ice cream or wake up nauseated every morning as mums do, but they do have emotional, physical and hormonal shifts in parallel with their mate's pregnancies. Research at Harvard University revealed that two major hormone changes in fathers-to-be First, the sex drive hormone, testosterone, goes down. At the same time, prolactin goes up. Scientists believe that men may be responding to the natural airborne chemicals of pregnancy, pheromones, coming from the mother-to-be's skin and sweat glands. These hormones, produced by the pregnant mother's body, are priming her husband to behave as the father of the child. Example at the more extreme end of the spectrum. In some men, this hormonal shift can cause what's called Cuvade syndrome, sympathetic pregnancy. Cuvade syndrome has been documented in fathers-to-be worldwide. By the beginning of the pregnant mum's second trimester, she needed bigger clothes. 
and her husband might too. If he's got COVID syndrome, he's probably packed on weight in sympathy. The father's pheromones also have been found to waft through the air and into the mother's nose, which triggers her to make more prolactin, a hormone that increases the growth of her maternal brain circuits. The mummy brain brings on the daddy brain, and the daddy brain advances the mummy brain. Scientists have found that men have the biggest hormonal leap from non-dad to dad in the days leading up to the birth. Researchers studied fathers-to-be during the last trimester of their wife's pregnancy and found that these men's prolactin levels increased by over 20% and their testosterone dropped 33% during the three weeks before birth. And by the time their children were born, not only had the father's testosterone dropped, but they were better at hearing and emotionally responding to crying babies than non-dads were. On average, a man's testosterone and prolactin levels will begin to readjust when the baby is six weeks old, returning to pre-fatherhood levels by the time the baby is walking. Nature has more changes in store for the mum and dad once the baby has been delivered. The day the baby arrives is finally here. The mother's water breaks and the amniotic fluid comes flooding down her legs. The baby is head down and ready. The mother's brain is switched on right at birth by a cascade of oxytocin, cued by signals coming from the fully developed fetus when it is ready to be born. A pregnant woman's level of progesterone suddenly collapses and oxytocin pulses flood her brain and body. It causes her uterus to start contracting. As the baby's head moves through the birth canal, more bursts of oxytocin fire in the brain, activating new receptors and forging thousands of new connections between neurons. The result at birth can be euphoria brought on by oxytocin and dopamine, as well as profoundly heightened senses of hearing, touch, sight and smell. One minute the mother's sitting there, an awkward beached whale, and next her uterus is lurching into her throat. And as Luen Brizarden says, you can't believe that it's feasible to do the pelvic equivalent of expelling a watermelon through your nostril. After too many hours for most of us, the ordeal is over, and your life and brain have changed forever. For the human mother, the lovely smells of her newborn's head, skin, poop, spat-up breast milk and other bodily fluids that have washed over her during the first few days will become chemically imprinted on her brain. She'll be able to pick out her own baby's smell above all others with about 90% accuracy. This goes for her baby's cry and body movements too, the touch of her baby's skin, the look of its little fingers and toes, its short cries and gasps, all are now tattooed on her brain. Louine Brizardine says, Within hours to days, an overwhelming protectiveness may seize her. Maternal aggression sets in. Her strength and resolve to care for and protect this little being completely grab the brain circuits. She feels as if she could stop a moving truck with her own body to protect her baby.
Her brain has been changed, and along with it, her reality. It is perhaps the biggest reality change of a woman's life. With their aggressive protective instinct fully primed, mothers become hyper-vigilant about all aspects of the home they are bringing their baby into, especially the safety of their baby with things such as baby-proof electrical plug covers, installing latches on the kitchen cabinet doors, and making sure everyone washes their hands thoroughly before touching the baby. Like a human global positioning system, a mother's brain centres for sight, sound and movement are honed in on monitoring and tracking her baby. This increased vigilance can take all forms, depending on the threat a mother sees to the safety and stability of her nest. Even reassessment of her husband's role as provider isn't unusual. The mother's brain circuits are changed in other ways too. Mothers may have better spatial memory than females who haven't given birth. They may be more flexible, adaptive and courageous. These are all skills and talents which they will need to keep track of and protect their babies. As long as the mother is in a continuous physical contact with her child, her brain will release oxytocin and form the circuits needed to make and maintain her mother's brain. More about the mothers and fathers and what happens to mum and dad once the baby is born, all nature controlled, for the next program. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed it, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast sites. Just look at my program details on Cairns FM 89.1 for clickable links. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Gafcon Northern Hope Anglican Church at the Cairns and District Junior Estedford Hall, 67 Greenslopes Street, Edge Hill, some Sunday at 9am. If you liked this program, you should definitely listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on those same sites. Search Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close brackets.